This morning we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. So if you have a Bible or a smartphone, you want to look that up, great, awesome, that'd be great. So let me read this passage. I'll let you know where we're going this morning, and, uh, and then I'll pray, and, and we're going to get into it. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, and he's writing to us as well, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out. Everybody say work out. out. We don't like that word. (laughs) Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Uh Uh-oh, look at verse 14 here. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Y'all say say everything? Oh, dang. Just step on some toes today. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation. It seems seems not a whole lot has changed in 2,000 some odd years, huh? See where I want to start again. So that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. And I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. And we pray, God, thank you for your word and thank you that it's true. And thank you, God, that it does change lives. And I pray this morning that we will be obedient. I pray, God, that we will work out our salvation with fear and trembling. God, I pray that we will do everything without grumbling, without complaining. Man, that is so hard, especially as we're living in a crooked and perverse generation. And there's so many things that, let's be honest, God, it's easy to complain about. But help us, God, to hold firm to the word of life. God, help us to sacrifice for you and to live by faith for you. And God, in so doing, we will bless those around us and we'll also experience an incredible amount of joy as we live in this world. So Jesus, we do everything for your name, for your fame, for your glory, and we pray all this, God, in your name. Amen. All right, the big idea, kind of where we're going today, is we need to exercise our faith. We need to exercise our faith. 
I, I'm kind of, this is kind of sad to admit, but as I was writing this this week, um, and I'm dating myself as well here, but Olivia Newton-John's song, uh, Let's Get Physical, <laughs> for whatever reason, was in my head all week long, 1981. That's a long time ago. And here, you all know I love music, and, and I'm a, a music connoisseur in a lot of ways, particularly hip-hop, but here's a little nugget for you in regards to that song. Um, the song was originally written for Rod Stewart, and uh, Olivia Newton-John picked it up instead. How about that? You'll, now you're no, you'll never forget that. This is back when Rod Stewart wore the, the spandex pants and everything, and he did the gyrating. Okay, whatever. Okay, here we go. Yeah, we don't want to do that. Um, earlier this week, I, I, went for, uh, I went for a run, and, uh, and uh, I got back to our house, and I had this message on my phone. This is from a friend and, and one of our people um, at the church, and uh, she said, I just drove by you. You didn't look happy to be running, <laughs> and I wasn't. I never am happy to be running, and you know, so she was exactly right, but uh, I know I need it. I, I know I need exercise for my mental health, for my physical health, uh, emotional health. I need to be active in some way, and I don't know about you, but for me, especially as I've gotten a little older, finding the time, the energy, and even the desire to exercise is really, really hard. Like, really hard. I went for a three and a half mile walk with my dog yesterday, and, and it was awful. I got about a half mile from the house, and I was like, I'm done. I, we're just, Gracie, we're just going to sit here for a while, and I need to kind of recoup a little bit. See, I know, I know it's important to exercise, but it's challenging, isn't it? Especially to get over that hump, right? To, to get back, like, doing the thing, Right? Culturally in our country, we, we know exercise is important. Believe it or not, right now, uh, the gym and health club industry generates $35 billion a year. I got it in the wrong profession. $35 billion with a B. The gym and health club industry, $35 billion. There are over 41,000 gym and workout facilities in our country, and that's excluding hotel gyms and health clubs. 41,000. 71 or 71 and a half million people, this would be some of you, claim to have a health club or gym that they're a part of. 71 and a half million. But 80% of the people that join health clubs or gyms quit going consistently after 5 months of beginning their membership. 80%. So in other words, you're paying people for nothing. I'm telling you, I got in the wrong line of work. Well, why do people quit? Let's make it a little more personal. Why do we quit? Why do we stop exercising? It's not fun. It's tough. It makes you feel inadequate, right? Especially when you go to a gym or a health club and you look to the jerk to your right or the left and they're just crushing it. And you're like, ugh, I'm just stopping McDonald's on the way home. <laughs> and really, it hurts too, doesn't it? I mean, it hurts. But if we desire to take better care of our bodies, 
we can't be passive. We need to be active. We need to exercise in some way. And the same is true for our growth in Christ. You can't be apathetic or half-hearted if you want to grow spiritually. We need to be active. And I want to even use maybe even a stronger word. We need to be aggressive in our pursuit of Jesus. When it comes to our spiritual health, we need to exercise our faith. We can't be indifferent. You're not going to grow in Christ by osmosis. (laughs) We need to do something with the gift of salvation and grace that you've been given by God. And that's that's the thrust of this passage here. See, last week we we looked at Philippians 2, 5 through 11, right? The Christ hymn, an an incredibly powerful passage in the book of Philippians. Now, the Apostle Paul is challenging the Philippians in that passage to adopt the same humble attitude. Remember, he said that. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. A life of humility. A life of sacrifice. That's how we're called to live. Jesus humbly and sacrificially gave himself on the cross to save all those who believe. We're called to live in the same way, to be an example, to be a model. Now, obviously not in offering salvation to people. You and I have no ability as sinners in and of ourselves to offer salvation to anyone. That's only Jesus. But in how we live our lives, we're called to model him. First, for the glory of God, and second, for the sake of others. When we live that way, here's what's wild, and I'm going to talk about this here in a minute. When we live that way, we begin to change. And we become more and more like Jesus. This is that whole word that I've used before, sanctification, growing in Christ. See, the goal of your life is not to be a pretty little person. That's fine, dandy, whatever you want to do and be. Good for you. The goal of your life is to be and to grow more and more like Jesus. That's what it's all about. And as you do that, everything else in your life will fall into place. Now, that's really, really tough, though, isn't it? Because our natural desire, our sinful desire, is to go our own way, to do our own thing. But to grow in Christ, we must continually pursue him, and that takes effort. And that's why so many people... They come to faith in Jesus, and then two, three, four weeks later, maybe if they're lucky, three, six months later, they kind of just start throwing in the towel. Because it's hard. It's hard going against your sinful wants and desires. It's hard going against the flesh. But it's essential and vital if you want to experience the fullness of life. Now notice again what Paul wrote here in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, remember, he loved the Philippians. Remember, Paul is in prison when he wrote this letter. I haven't said that in a few weeks, but he is in prison in Rome when he wrote this letter. He loved the Philippians. Remember, he led a few of the Philippian people to Jesus. And those are the people that started the church. Remember Lydia, a wealthy businesswoman. You remember the slave girl who came to faith in Jesus. 12, 13 years old girl. You remember the Roman soldier that Paul led to the Lord and then his family as well. He loved these people. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence. 
See, what he's communicating here is you've pursued Jesus. You've sought humility. Don't give up. Continue to live an obedient life. Now, we can't get confused here. They're not to be obedient to Paul, but to God. Whether the Apostle Paul was with them physically or not was irrelevant. Their consistent and continual growth in Jesus is what mattered. And that took focus. And it took obedience for the Philippians. Now, I've said this before. It's been a while now. But as Americans, as people, as sinners, we don't like the word obedience. Right? I mean, I chastise my girls, my two daughters, for not being obedient to me or to my wife. But the reality is, I don't, I don't like to be all that obedient at 46 years old either. None of us wants to be all that obedient. And sometimes we do it just because we have to, or we do it just because we want to be accepted. But none of us likes the word obedience. Yet, spiritual exercise takes obedience. You've got to do the work. We cannot and will not grow in our faith without it. Now, it's interesting that Paul here is essentially writing, when I was with you, you were obedient. Even now, when I'm not with you, you still need to be obedient. The Philippians' faith in Jesus was consistent, regardless of who was around. Regardless of if Paul was there or not. When I read that verse, I think of the person who lives the same way at church or among Christians and at their job or at their school. They're the same way. And my, my hope and my prayer is for me and for you as well that, that you're consistent. And I am just as flawed when I'm up here as I am when I'm at home or hanging out with you on a Saturday or Friday night or whenever you may come by our house or see me out out and about. You're going to see my warts, my scars, my faults, all of it. And my hope and my prayer is that you'll see Jesus as well. More so than everything else in my life. Not always consistent, but I'm striving to that end and my hope and my prayer is you are as well. See, to be a Christian means to follow Jesus and be obedient, as I said, regardless of who or what we're doing, who's around us and what we're doing. Look again at verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, first things first, we need to see this. We are not to work for our salvation. That is not what Paul is saying at all. You you cannot do enough good in your life to earn your salvation. You're not called to work for your salvation. You're called to work out your salvation. Salvation, the gift of life, is by grace through faith in Jesus. That's in Ephesians 2, an amazing passage, verses 1 through 10. There is nothing we can do to earn our salvation. It's a gift. You have been given, as a Christian, a free gift, an abundant gift from God. But what you do with that gift matters. It matters. 
Paul encouraged the church in Philippi to work out their faith. To work out your own salvation means that you are intentionally pursuing Jesus in every aspect of your life. Now, it's interesting to note here that Paul wrote, work out your salvation. Your salvation. Your personal salvation. No one can do the heavy lifting of you growing in your faith other than you. As much as I would love someone to run for me, that ain't happening. None of you love me that much. And even if you did, even if you were like, Darren, you're awesome. I would love to run six miles for you. (laughs) It wouldn't be efficacious for me in any way. I need to do it. I need to work out my own salvation. You need to work out your own salvation. Kids, stop trying to piggyback on mom and dad's faith. It ain't working. You got to work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. There are no shortcuts for growth in the Christian faith. There ain't nothing called Jesus juice. There are no magic pills. There are no special Jesus diets. If we want to grow in Jesus, we must be obedient to his teachings. Luke 9.23, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Those are hard words, but they're vital words, and they're words that we need to work out our salvation. Now, you probably noticed... Paul wrote that we should work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean, fear and trembling? See, when we think of fear and trembling, we think of of terror. We think of anxiety. We think of excessive worry. But that's not what the Apostle Paul has in view. I mean, that would go totally against what Selena shared a few minutes ago. From Matthew's gospel. Fear and trembling here refers to awe. It it refers to reverence. And if I can speak just for a moment on this. This is one of the problems with current American Christianity. And even current American culture. Is we've lost this idea of awe. And reverence before God. To fear God and tremble before Him is to take Him seriously. So when He says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Me, it's not a suggestion. That's a command. When He says, work out your own salvation, it means do it. Get off the couch and go to work. Verse 12, Paul brings a pretty firm exhortation, doesn't he? Work it out. Do it. 
let's get physical. It's going to be in your head now all day. It's been in my head, it's been in my head all week. No, I don't, we don't want to see that. I clicked on the video. Remember that video? Oh, Lord Jesus. I clicked on the video and I went, oh, my gosh. And the 80s are coming back. What is going on here? Like the, the gr- sorry, girls. But the high-waisted pants? If you notice, the, I saw this yesterday. The girls are wearing them, but then mom isn't wearing them. It's because mom already lived it and she knows. I should have never done that in the first place. So, yeah, okay. Anyhow. Here we go. Now I'm just critiquing fashion. And, but I like fashion. Maybe in another life. Where am I here? Verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work according to his purpose. So here you see in verse 12, he's exhorting us. Work out your own salvation. Now in verse 13, he comes with some encouragement. For it is God who is working in you. It is God who is working in you, Christian both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Now think about that. Just just stop for a moment and think about this. This is where we, we don't have enough awe in our lives. We don't have enough reverence in our lives. God, the maker and sustainer of everything, is working in you. Is working in you for his good purpose. a lot of different ways we can go with that right now but what he's communicating is here you can obey God and you can work out your salvation because the power of God is working in you you're enabled to do those things because God is working in and through you do you see that word working in verse 13 for it is God who is working working is the Greek word energio It's where we get our English word, energize. So in a very real way, God gives you the energy to work out your faith. God is empowering you to do it. And he will not stop giving you everything that you need. Remember this from a few weeks ago. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians 1.6. God ain't going to stop working in you. Why are you so quick to throw in the towel? That's when we start getting a little real, right? We throw in the towel because we're not getting our way. But maybe, just maybe, God's way is far better than your way. I hope you sense the sarcasm there. See, obedience is not based on your willpower, but obedience is based on God's power working in you. But the problem is we forget that God's power is working in us. And we start trusting in ourselves. Your responsibility is simply just to go to God. That's your responsibility. That's it. I quote this, I feel like, almost every week. But it's vital for us to drill into our heads and down into our hearts. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James 4.8, right? Yeah, 4.8. That's it. That's all you're called to do is just draw near to God. And as you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. For some of us, it's a giant step. For some of us, it's a leap. For some of us, it's a baby step. But whatever we need to do, we've got to draw near to him. See, in every follower of Christ, God is at work. And just real quick, have you noticed God working in your life? 
And if you've noticed him working in your life, what does it look like? And if you haven't noticed him working in your life, maybe you need to get back to that Jesus gym and do some heavy lifting. Now, Paul gives us practical application here, doesn't he? He says, here's kind of one way you could work out your salvation. Uh Uh-oh. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. So that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Now that is quite a run on sentence. And it's even longer in the original Greek. But the operative word and convicting word here in the first half of the verse is everything. I don't like this passage. I'm just being honest with you. I'm really good at complaining and grumbling and arguing. I'll argue with, any, I'll argue with you right now, standing up here. And I'll win because I got a mic and you don't. But Paul did not say do some things without grumbling and complaining. No, he said, do everything. But Darren, what about my butt? Nope. But Darren, what about my spouse? Nope. But what about when the election? Nope. But can't they get it right in the vote? Nope. <laughs> They're still counting, y'all. What are we doing? We're the United States of America, and we can't count faster than this? Whatever. See, complaining and arguing is always a temptation. Here's where we're going to get a little convicted, I hope. I did when I wrote this, and I wrote it, and I went, ah, just delete it, Darren. Uh -uh. Complaining and arguing is always a temptation because people cannot live up to the expectations that we place on them. That's why we complain and argue. Because people are not living up to the expectations that we place on them. But let's just be honest and real for a minute. You cannot live up to your own expectations that you place on other people. That in and of itself should be convicting. And that's why I left it there. So I go and I complain about, I don't know, under my breath about my wife or my kids or one of you. And I'm like... <laughs> and I'm like, gosh, but I'm not, I'm not doing it myself. Oh, I need to go back to Jesus. I need, I, need, I need humbled. And I need to sacrifice for my wife. I need to sacrifice for you. I need to sacrifice for my kids. See, if our lives are filled with dissatisfaction, if they're filled with resentment, and this is some of you, let's just be real. If our lives are filled with dissatisfaction, resentment, and bickering, it's safe to say you're not working out your own salvation. You're not. Because God is not a God of disruption, but a God of peace and unity. And that's not only here in the church, but that's also in you. Grumbling and arguing, Paul noted, harms the mission of God. If complaining fills our lives as Christians, we'll lose our distinctness. You're called to be a light, right? If you're complaining and arguing, your light is snuffed out. 
Remember, we're called to have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, verse 5, looking at last week. Jesus said, you, Christian, are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. A bad attitude. One that grumbles and complains snuffs out the light. Well, they're no different than me. They're complaining about this, that, and the other thing, just like I am. We have a friend in South Carolina, and she might watch this this morning or hear it this week, but we have a friend in South Carolina named Donna. I love Donna. Who has the same response to the question every single time it's asked. And I've asked this question to her probably hundreds of times in the years that I've known her. Donna, how are you? How are you doing? And her response is always the same. I'm doing far better than I deserve. Doing far better than I deserve. And she is. And so are you. God empowers you to live in such a way that glorifies Him and attracts others to His goodness regardless of what's happening in and around you. See, this happens when we're, we're holding firm, Paul said, to the word of life. Well, what's the word of life? The Bible. This is where the disconnect happens. See, it's impossible to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling without having our noses pressed into our Bibles. You will see a direct correlation in your life. When you step away from this, your faith will grow cold. When your nose is pressed into it, even when you don't feel like it, and you're like, God, I, this feels like it's 200 pounds right now lifting it up. But God, I know i got to work out my salvation. And as you pick this up, as you lift it, it's going to get lighter, 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 and sweeter, and sweeter. Paul noted, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. So his word should illuminate every part of our lives. And when that happens, we'll find that we will proclaim God's word to people far more than we're complaining to God. We'll proclaim more and complain less. And that's Paul's desire for the Philippians. I mean, they're facing persecution. Paul was facing persecution. He's in prison, and he's still shining as a light. He loved the church in Philippi, and he was delighted to serve them. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Well, what is a drink offering? What in the world is the Apostle Paul talking about here? In the Old Testament, the Israelites would place their best wine on God's temple, on the temple altar. And they're essentially saying, God, this is yours. The best that we have is all for you. Like the other offerings, the drink offering was a sacrifice. Giving their first, their best to the Lord. Paul regarded his own life as such a sacrifice. 
I'm pouring myself out so the Philippians can grow in their faith. We're called as Christians to pour our lives out so others can grow in the faith. We shouldn't skim over this. The Apostle Paul was thankful and rejoiced. As I said a few minutes ago, and I've said almost every week, remember that the Apostle Paul is in prison, and even in prison, he is sacrificing himself. He's not, woe is me, this stinks, this is terrible, take my life now, or like I always say, I'm just going to move to Panama and give up. No, Paul's like, I'm sacrificing, I'm going to continue doing the thing, because God, this is what you've called me to do. He gave his life away for the sake of the Philippians and for countless others. And that's our call as well. See, there's joy in life when you give yourself away. When you sacrifice, the bitterness goes away, the bickering goes away, the complaining, the arguing. And you find that you become more and more like Jesus. So I want to challenge you to not be reluctant. First, surrender your life to Jesus. Every day. Every single day, give yourself to Jesus. That's where you'll find life. You need to exercise your faith. Now, let me just close with a few thoughts here. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't, don't surrender. Keep pressing on. Keep exercising your faith. Well, how? How? It's really simple. Read your Bible. Pray. Go to church. Get involved with a crew. Give away some of your resources. Give away some of your time and serve. That's it. That's following Jesus. That's doing what Jesus called you to do. Well, that, that sounds like a lot. I don't know if I can do all that. Oy. It is a lot. But you need to exercise your faith. And I have no doubt in my mind that you can find some time today to read your Bible, to pray, to give thanks, to put two, three, four, five dollars in the offering box. You got it. You can do it. You got to start somewhere. Maybe turn the phone off for a few minutes, turn off Hulu. Go to bed a little bit earlier. Get off the phone. Do whatever you got to do to sacrifice for Jesus and for others. See, the Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit is empowering you. But the Holy Spirit, Scripture says, is also incredibly sensitive. See, the Holy Spirit, though, is working in you. And again, if you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. And you'll get these kind of supernatural steroids, which all of us need, especially in 2020. Come, Lord Jesus. 
But the key is, man, you just have to start. You need to do something that will grow your faith in Jesus. You need to start exercising your faith and then build on that exercise just like if you're exercising physically, right? You start small and then you grow and you grow and you grow and you take more and more steps. You put more and more weight on the bar. You run further and further. It's the same way as you grow in Christ. You're building on what you just started. And you'll find that Jesus will radically change your life. So today, this morning, God wants you to work out. He wants you to work out your faith and fear and trembling. And tomorrow, He wants you to work out your faith. See, the call is simple just to pursue Jesus in everything in your life. Everything that you have, you surrender to him. And you say, Jesus, I am yours. And as we say so often from this stage, God, more of you and less of me. More of you and less of me. God, I'm laying it at your feet and I need you. I, wanna, I want the worship team to come up if we could. And I want to sing one last song. And, and I'm going to lead us in prayer as they make their way up. Jesus, thank you that you enable us, you empower us.